Good morning, folks. Let me begin by reading our scripture passage for today as we're working our way through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 3, starting with verse 10, if you want to follow along in your own Bible or your Bible app on your phone. And, and if you don't have a, a Bible app for your phone, I like the NIV Bible, uh, and I'd recommend it to you. It's free and simple, easy to use. You can download it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Amen. Thanks be to God for this is holy word. I had a great mom, and I miss her a lot. She died way too soon. She was just so loving and talented and, and just so thoughtful. And like a lot of mothers, she had this mom voice, you know, the one where when she used it, you knew you were in big trouble and she wasn't kidding around. And she often used her mom voice to dispense that unique sort of advice that only moms can give. For example, when we were little, my brother and I liked to climb trees, which was okay unless we climbed too high, which we did all the time because we were just a couple of monkeys. And then we hear this mom voice, don't you dare climb any higher. And then she'd give that great mom advice. If you fall out of that tree and break both your legs, well then don't come running to me. Thanks, mom. You know, good effort, but you know, not real helpful. I think if we break both our legs, we might come crawling to you, but we're definitely not going to come running. Did your mom ever say anything like that? I mean, moms, be honest. Have you ever given advice like that? It's not the best. You know, Christians are often seen as people who are in the advice-giving business. We take the Bible and we try to apply it to real-life situations that people are facing. And sometimes we give good advice and maybe sometimes we don't. In today's passage, Paul is continuing to give advice to this young church in the ancient city of Corinth. A church that was coming apart at the seams because of divisions that were popping up within the church. There's nothing worse in a church than when people start picking sides. And that's what was happening in Corinth. These different factions in the church were lining up behind which leader they liked the best. Was it Paul or Apollos or Cephas? 
And there's no indication that any of these leaders wanted or sought that kind of following. They, they didn't. There, there wasn't any competition or jealousy between the three of them. It was totally a manufactured problem created by agitators within the church. So Paul is using his voice as an apostle, someone designated as a major leader in the ancient church. He's using his apostle voice to try and kind of push them forward to move past these petty problems and on towards spiritual maturity. And he's doing, what he's doing is very much in keeping with two of our core values. We pursue a thoughtful faith and we encourage your next step. That's exactly what Paul is trying to do. Uh, he's trying to help the Corinthians get a better understanding of who they are and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, uh, what that's all about, and then to take that next step towards deeper spiritual maturity. And when it comes to the things of Christ, the, the Corinthians, uh, they were still like kids in elementary school getting into fights on the playground. The first thing that Paul wants them to understand is that maturity in Christ is a process, not a destination. A process that may involve a variety of influences and influencers over the years. But ultimately, it's a process that is directed by Christ alone. We all have you know, a spiritual story. I would encourage you to go back and think through your own spiritual history. Take some time to think about the, the various people or events that, that first led you into a personal relationship with Christ and then maybe the people who have helped shape your faith since then. I've even had folks kind of draw that story out like a mini timeline so that they can see how God has been at work in the past and that usually gives you a little bit more confidence about the future, all the people and events God used to get you to where you are right now gives you some, some hope more for the future. Now, I've done that. I've literally drawn out the timeline of my spiritual life. And I remember one influencer who probably never knew the impact that he had on my life. I was in high school. I was a high school sophomore. I had pretty much dropped out of church by then, except for, you know, mandatory family attendance on Christmas and Easter. So I didn't think of myself as a Christian. I was exploring other religions, you know, like Buddhism. I thought I had all the answers as to why Christianity was a farce. But during the summer between my sophomore and junior years, I attended a student leadership conference at Indiana University. And one of the presenters was a Roman Catholic priest. And in my adolescent arrogance, I thought I would just kind of pepper him with all kinds of tough questions about religion, just to kind of put him on the spot. If God is so loving, why do babies die of hunger? right? I mean, you've heard that question. If God's so powerful, why does he allow us to fight wars where millions of innocent people die? You know, all those questions that people think, you know, nobody in the whole universe has ever asked this question before. And what happened was that the priest had some pretty good answers. He had some pretty solid intellectual answers, and he, and he didn't get upset with my crappy attitude. He actually listened, and he tried to give me true but also caring answers. Well, that really got me thinking. And that following fall, God brought a new really good youth pastor to our church, and another really great guy started a Young Life Club at my high school, and God used that priest to sort of soften me up, got me ready to hear the gospel from these other two young men. And so late in my junior year, you know, I gave my life to Christ. But it started with that priest. And I'm sure he never knew the impact of that conversation on my life. But it proves the truth of what Chris Voorhees preached on last week from verse 6 in chapter 3. I planted the seed, 
Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. The spiritual growth process, this is called sanctification. It's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ in our attitudes and actions, our beliefs and our emotions. Once Christ takes hold of your life, he wants to change it. God loves you just as you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And so the gospel is all about transformation. It's about deep change, not just a quick fix, not simply forgiveness for past sins and then go back to the old life. That's not what being a disciple is all about. Being a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus, is about a lifelong process of of inner transformation. Now, Paul assumed that this kind of spiritual growth was natural, that it was going to be normal for Christians to grow. All living things must either grow or die. Paul talks about growth in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, where he says that we're to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He goes on in that chapter in verse 15 to say, we should no longer be infants, but we will, be, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, and that is Christ. So that's a tall order, the whole measure of the whole fullness of Christ. I mean, typically what happens is new Christians is that there's lots of growth at the beginning. New, new believers are, you know, they're so excited, they're so eager to learn. Uh, it, it's like when you're a new parent and you see your, your little precious baby double in size in just a few short months. New Christians often grow like that. They soak it up. They're so excited. So their knowledge of the Bible, of who God is, of, of what Jesus is like, it kind of grows exponentially at first. But after a few months or years into maturity, the growth curve starts to change. Like with the human body, as we mature, we're not necessarily getting bigger all the time. Hope not. But we do replenish and restore body cells. Developing a Christ-like life is like that. It's a constant, never-ending process, a natural process as God is working in your life. But you may not notice the growth and change as much as you did at the beginning. Growth is natural for the believer, but sometimes also painful. Have you ever tried a new physical activity or maybe gone back to something after a lengthy hiatus? Like tennis, you know, you haven't played in a few years, or golf. Even walking, you know, if you've been laid up for a while, you feel it. Your muscles need exercise or they lose strength. To stay strong, you have to stretch beyond your current level. Your muscles have to do more to stay strong or your muscle strength will begin to atrophy. The same thing is true in the spiritual life. If you're not growing... If you're not being stretched in your faith, you're probably starting to lose strength. Your spiritual muscles can start to atrophy and get weaker. We all need this continual challenge, continuous spiritual exercise to keep our faith strong and vibrant and growing. And you can kind of tell pretty easily if you're growing or not. Does God seem far away? Did you once feel closer to God than you do now? Just be honest. Which direction Are you moving? Are you closer to God or do you feel like he is further away? And that's just a simple, it's an imperfect barometer or self-test to measure your spiritual situation. But where are you in your spiritual growth? Think about that. Because here in chapter 3, Paul uses two images to describe this process of growth or sanctification. One's agricultural and one is architectural. Back in verse 9, he says, you are God's field, God's building an image of agriculture, and an image of architecture. 
Last week's passage focused on the agricultural, that, that seed that sprouts into new life in verses 6 through 8. This morning's passage focuses on the architectural in verses 10 through 15. And the most important feature of this faith construction project is the foundation. Laying a solid foundation in Jesus Christ. That's an absolute essential. Without, the, without it, the building will not stand the test of time. That's true in any kind of building construction. If you don't have a solid foundation, if the foundation isn't level or strong enough, what you build is going to be either off kilter or in danger of collapse. No matter how attractive it might look from the outside, eventually cracks are going to appear and the cost to repair will be enormous. And so without Jesus, you know, faith or religion or spirituality, those are all just wishful thinking. Without Jesus as the solid foundation, spirituality will not t uh, stand the test of time, even if people try to call it Christian. Lots of people today want to promote sort of a Christless Christianity. They like Christian idealism, Christian social ethics, but they diminish Christ so much that he's barely recognizable. Paul says it clearly. Jesus Christ is the only solid foundation on which faith can be built. All other foundations are unstable, and their true nature will be revealed as people try to build. If it's not of Christ, Paul says, it's all going to burn up or fall apart. He writes in verse 16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst, actually lives in you through the Spirit? You're His living temple. That's one way God shows His ownership over your life. When you put your faith in Christ, when you belong to Him, you actually get a new owner, and that's so important in understanding how God wants to build your life and how God wants to shape your future. Uh, years ago, Don and I moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania to begin a new ministry there. And uh, we started off by renting uh, this cute little, little, very little house. The house had just been sold. The new owners were actually supporters of our ministry, but the sale had not yet been completed, and the new owners wanted to rent it to us cheap, and I was all for that. So we went to look at it. And it was a beautiful neighborhood right across from a private school, but this house was a wreck inside and out. The house was trashed. It had gross graffiti on all the walls. There were mouse droppings all over the place. The yard was overgrown. You could barely see the house from the street. It looked like the house had just been abandoned. But something happened when that sale was completed. There was no immediate noticeable difference when the deed changed hands, but that simple act made all the difference in the world. A new owner, everything looked the same, except there was a new owner because they got busy. Exterminators to clear out the vermin, landscapers to clear away the debris, painters and plumbers and electricians, a, a steady steam of, a stream of repairmen and carpenters. In a few weeks, we were able to move into a very lovely, pristine cottage that we could call home. Well, what happened? A new owner made all the difference. And it's the same when you and I come to Christ. You sign the deed of your life over to Jesus. He's the new owner. That change happens immediately, but most of the changes are not instantaneous. They will come, but it takes time as Jesus begins that work of transformation. And it doesn't matter how much garbage has been stuffed into the basement, the new owner is going to clean all that out. This is a permanent ownership. God owns you forever. You might not know that this is the 500th anniversary of the, of the Protestant Reformation that began when a Roman Catholic priest named Martin Luther started to protest 
against theological and financial abuses that he saw in the papacy. One of the great teachings of Martin Luther's Reformed faith is the preservation or perseverance of the saints. That once you are saved, you're saved forever. Christ's work on the cross is complete. His shed blood covers all our sin, past, present, and future. So you cannot lose your salvation no matter what you do from here on out. Your salvation is not about your good efforts or your good works or even about having you know, enough faith. It's, about, it's 100% about a good Savior who saves forever. It's all grace. Scripture says you, you have been purchased in 1 Corinthians 6.20. You were bought with the price of Jesus' blood, so you belong to him no matter how badly you may mess up things now. God owns the deed to your life, and he's keeping you. And he's the one who guarantees the, the preservation, the perseverance of the saints. Remember the great promise of Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. He started this repair job. He's going to finish it. Some things in your life may burn up, as Paul says, but you will be saved as though through the flames. You know, it's sad that people live with a sense of fear and uncertainty about their salvation, that this God who gives love might one day decide to take it back. Some folks find it hard to believe that God's love is big enough to encompass all our sin, all of it. But in Christ, yes, we're saved forever. When Christ died to pay the penalty of my sins, past, present, and future, because he knows the future anyway. And that's salvation. And once saved, you're always saved. And once saved, that's when sanctification begins, the process of becoming more and more like him. You know, I'm not a big fan of uh, Christian bumper stickers, especially if the person at the wheel is driving like a jerk. But the one bumper sticker that I might consider putting on my card is this. Be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. Be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. That's so true. We are people under construction. And sometimes construction is messy. Workers come in, they tear out the old stuff, they sweep out the dirt, they kill the rodents. But you must clean out the old before the painters can come in and put on that fresh coat of paint. Too often Christians don't want to do the hard work of honestly looking at our inner selves, of really allowing Christ through His Spirit to do the work that He needs to do. To look at our motivations, our subtle manipulations, our ungodly habits, our attitudes, our egos, our, 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 our need to control others, our prejudices. You just can't paint over the dirt. Otherwise, it's just going to peel in a short while. You have to clean it and sand it down. And so it is with Christ. Don't try to paint over the problems in your life. You've got to let the Holy Spirit have free reign to work on them. Every homeowner knows that a house requires constant attention. Once you own a house, you'll be making repairs all the time. Little things, you know, light bulbs to big things like a new furnace. The upkeep is a never-ending process. And sometimes outside events create a crisis. An ice storm comes and a tree falls on your roof. There are things that will batter your house that are beyond your control. There are things that will batter your life that are beyond your control. An auto accident, a downsizing in a company, a, a bad diagnosis, all out of your control. But that doesn't mean that God, the owner of your life, has somehow walked away. All those things are just a part of life, and it is God, through his indwelling spirit, who redeems the evil, who repairs the damage, who restores the joy. 
When Jesus is the foundation of your life, you will always have hope. That's what Jesus meant when he said in Luke chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. No matter what the world throws at you, when your foundation of your life is Jesus Christ, you will always have hope. For all growing Christians, the only foundation for life is Jesus Christ. And we are all the same in that regard. But here's what's great, is that then there's great variety. Same foundation, but lots of different floor plans. Christians are not built to kind of look like the cookie-cutter houses we see in so many subdivisions where, you know, every third house is exactly the same. God gives his people the freedom then to be different. Not all Christians should look the same or talk the same or belong to the same political party. The same foundation, but the floor plans are going to be different. And you should actually worry if you go to a church and everybody's exactly the same. Everybody believes exactly the same thing. I mean, that's a cult, not a church. If everybody is exactly the same, they mean, that means they're not really imitating Christ. They're imitating each other, and they're not growing towards maturity in Christ. So the floor plans are different, and yet in all houses there are similarities. All have plumbing, electricity, a bathroom, a kitchen, somewhere to sleep, somewhere to eat. In maturing Christians, there will be some things in common. You should feed your soul through Scripture. You should strengthen your heart through prayer. You should enlarge your compassion for the world through serving others. You should increase your joy by doing life with spiritually encouraging friends. And remember to give some grace to those around you who are in the middle of Christ's renovation process, who are also being sanctified by the Spirit. We are all people under construction. And the good news is God isn't finished with us yet. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the time when I signed the deed of my life over to you. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here today who has not done that, who has not made a conscious decision to turn the control, the ownership of their life over to you, Lord, that they would do that now. And they would experience the joy of you coming in and making them new in their heart, Lord. And also that they would begin that process that the rest of us are in of lifelong transformation, Lord. Continue to help us to be open to your Holy Spirit, to come in and root out the the little pockets of sin and evil and all the rest that are inside us, Lord, so that we can grow closer and closer like you. Out of love, Lord, become more and more like you so that the world might see you through our imperfect witness. And We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.